Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, a tale as old as time. The Ministry of Social Development and Ministry for Primary Industries have both admitted to botching their responses to an Official Information Act request about Thompson and Clark. A tune as old as song. John Key has said that he doesn't follow the law over OIA requests. From Prime Minister to say that and openly really admitting to breaking the law, it's certainly an issue that I'll be taking up. But is the dim view many public bodies seem to hold of the Official Information Act really a big deal? Or just something meddling bloody journalists get distressed about? Well, this is all public information. And the public has a right to know about the workings of government and the information they hold. So we have an understanding of how our government works. Judge Peter Bosher is New Zealand's chief ombudsman. It's not an easy word to pronounce, is it? Uh, But it's been around for a long, long time. It's Swedish in origin, Emil. Loosely translated means a grievance person. So it's Scandinavian in origin. Interestingly, we were the first country outside of Scandinavia to introduce an ombudsman in 1962. So that's where it comes from. What does the ombudsman's office do? The Ombudsman's Office looks at grievances that people have usually against state agencies. So you know when you've got a problem, there are a number of places you can go to, including the courts. Uh, You can sometimes go to a disputes tribunal. But the Ombudsman started off all those years ago with the very famous Sir Guy Poles as the first Ombudsman and a tiny office of only about 14. If people ran up against the state and had a problem, and felt they weren't being treated fairly, who could you go to? Because often going to courts was just over the top and too expensive. So we are we were primarily set up uh, to help people who had a problem with a state agency and they just needed a hand to get a solution. So you sort of like a disputes tribunal for the public service? You could say that a disputes tribunal is one way of looking at it, the, the main difference between us and other forms of dispute resolution is this. We're tasked under the Ombudsman Act in deciding whether or not a state agency or a local government has acted unreasonably. So the test is, has someone done their job reasonably or unreasonably? We don't redo the whole of the task that they've done, we look to see whether they've done it conscientiously and they could reasonably have come to the conclusion that they have. And if they've dropped the ball and got it wrong and acted unfairly, then we ask them to do it again and make recommendations to put right any harm that they've caused. So that's the, that's the real gutsy, grunty nature of the role. The Ombudsman has a broad remit, from violence in prisons... The Chief Ombudsman hasn't been able to get into prisons to check on conditions during the pandemic, despite grave concerns about extended lockdown hours and the fact that he has a statutory monitoring role. To the treatment of vulnerable people... The Ombudsman has named and shamed two mental health units, one at Wellington Hospital and the other at Waitakere Hospital, finding some of their practices amounted to degrading, cruel or inhuman treatment. To children in state care. The most damning report of all I have read. That's the reaction of one Māori leader to the latest Oranga Tamariki report by the Chief Ombudsman. When I took on this job at the end of 2015, I had come from the judiciary. And I'm not surprised you ask these questions about the role of the Ombudsman because, look, I, frankly, I didn't know much about the role at all before I took this on. 
So I started as a, as a new kid learning the jurisdiction. What happens really is this. Let's say that you have got a problem with the local authority. It could be that they have unfairly overcharged you on rates. It could be that in the case of one complainant who had an Auckland travel card, they kept money on his card in circumstances where they should not have, and he just couldn't make progress in trying to get a fair, even result. So we we do everything from the very small, helping a person with a particular problem. The latest one we've done, again in Auckland, um, was this, if I can tell you about it for a minute. It was decided with uh, quarantined and isolation facilities that they would use the Stamford Plaza in Albert Street as a facility. That's not just a hotel. It also has apartments at the top that are owned by uh, own-your-own owners. They didn't properly consult those owners when they told them they were thinking of using Stamford Plaza as a quarantine facility. Residents at Auckland Stamford Plaza are being threatened with legal action after going public with their concerns about plans for the hotel to be used as a managed isolation facility. Permanent residents living in the apartments at the top of the building went public with their concerns, saying shared areas in the hotel meant it wasn't possible to keep residents and isolating guests totally separate. And many of the residents are older and have health issues. They didn't share their plans and their uh, health and safety uh, requirements and plans and you can imagine that the residents were extremely anxious that this was occurring around them in the place where they lived and they didn't feel that they'd been consulted and didn't feel that they were being treated with dignity And, and we did a large investigation into that which only finished about a week ago which resulted in the agency concerned apologising and promising that they would do this sort of thing uh, better next time. So that's an example very recently and current of the fact that an agency goes in and just sometimes forgets to do things properly and doesn't act reasonably. And, And we pick that up and ask them, to do it again. You deal with a very wide range of issues, elder abuse, uh, the treatment of disabled people, monitoring prisons, monitoring children in care, COVID facilities now, as you mentioned, dealing with whistleblowing. That is an outrageously wide portfolio of responsibilities, you would think. Well, I think that we have grown to meet the need. Uh, Can I start off with with this essential starting point for me? Look, I am driven by a notion of fairness for people. Uh, and the court system is good as far as it goes, but its its premise is, is someone guilty or not guilty of an offence? Or, uh, in the case of a civil dispute, can someone prove on the balance of probabilities that someone's done wrong? And if you, if you can't prove those things and get over the line, then there is no fairness or justice for the losing person. That, that's really it. That's the end of the road. What I like about the breadth of this job is that we can go looking ourselves. We we can get a sense, particularly for someone who's not articulate, who's quite uh, vulnerable, and we, we get a sniff from looking at the base material that they haven't been treated fairly, and so we can do our own work, and they're not expected to do the advocating all themselves. So 
I think the reason the job has grown is because we see a need for New Zealanders to have somewhere to go in order to feel that they're getting a fair go and fair treatment. And and the role has expanded beyond uh, the initial Ombudsman Act, as you know, official information, uh, monitoring places of detention. Whistleblowing, if I can just single that out before you, you move on. Sure. Let's say that you work in an organisation and you're anxious that around you there is serious wrongdoing going on. Who do you go to? If you go to your own boss, you risk vindictive treatment, you risk your career ending then and there. So a lot of people just don't bother. But the Ombudsman is a place you can go with guaranteed secrecy and confidentiality if you feel that there is something that you want attention drawn to and you don't want uh, to suffer the consequence of retribution. So that's another way in which we've grown our work. If you do have to make a report or make a recommendation, does the Institute, say you have to rule against some form of the public sector, an institution, do they have to do what you tell them to do? Is your word law? There's enormous moral authority that goes with the role, Emil. Um, It's not like a court where you can convict and sentence and penalise with a fine. But it's surprising that if we... uh, if, If our process is seen by the agency that's been at fault, if our process is seen itself as fair and reasonable... The vast majority of times, our recommendations are accepted and implemented. It's very, very scarce that a recommendation that we make is not implemented. Mm. So there is not that coercive power that uh, the courts have. But interestingly, I think our strike rate in getting to the right conclusion is probably far, far higher than I'd ever thought possible. That's interesting. I'm getting a, a, an idea here that the powers of the Ombudsman are more more grounded in the idea of rectifying something that has gone wrong rather than punishing people for doing something wrong. Um, correct. And it's, it's rare that we come out swinging. Uh, there are occasions when, in a report, I, I, I do have to be critical. That's usually occurred after we've previously done a report, we've made recommendations, and I find that those recommendations haven't been properly implemented. Then I start uh, to get more gritty in the way I express myself. But, but, you know, this is human nature and conduct at work here. If you can get alongside the person who you think is at fault and persuade, cajole, recommend get them on side, they're much more likely to do the right thing than grudgingly be forced to do it, and they only do it often in a half-hearted fashion. So we we try to make sure that both the complainant and the agency at fault understand that the correct just result's been arrived at. Part of the Ombudsman's work also involves a bit of dealing with Groundhog Day. From June 2016 to June 2019, the number of complaints relating to breaches of the Official Information Act by public institutions has risen by nearly 70%, from 1,100 to nearly 1,900. This news clip is from 2014. The Chief Ombudsman wants to find out if public servants are fobbing off and stonewalling requests from the public and media for official information. 
This is from 2015, just after the journalist Nicky Harger had his bank account details given to police by Westpac despite no warrant. Nicky Harger himself had also requested those documents relating to Westpac under the Official Information Act and the Privacy Act, but the police were not willing to provide them and Nicky Harger has complained to the Privacy Commission and the Office of the Ombudsman about that. 2016. This week, Checkpoint wanted to talk to Corrections about the Circo-operated prison at Wirree. Corrections wouldn't talk, but referred us to Circo. Go to them, they said they run the prison. So we did, and Circo refused to be interviewed. This shuffling ending in silence is becoming increasingly common. We can use the Official Information Act, of course, but the most recent response we received was so heavily redacted it looked like a Rothko painting. 2017. The Chief Ombudsman is warning government agencies that they can no longer hide behind the Official Information Act. 2018. The government research body Callaghan Innovation is defending itself against claims it doesn't treat all OIA requests equally. And 2019. The Ombudsman is warning government departments not to use the Official Information Act as a way of dragging their feet in response to media inquiries. And here is RNZ's Hawke's Bay reporter, Anusha Bradley. I did a story about manufacturers in Napier who have consent to discharge their waste into the sewerage system. And it turns out that like half of these um, big companies, and small ones actually, were actually had actually broken their consent rules in the last year. And the, and the Napier City Council had like compiled this league table of the worst offenders. Like some were repeat and consistent offenders, but it was refusing to release that league table, saying that it was commercially sensitive information and contained trade secrets. And they just yeah blankly refused to um, to release any information. So I completely disagree with that, and, and I've, I've filed a complaint with the ombudsman about it. Um, but it seems to be a standard response. We've got a few few gripes about the OA system, and a standard response seems to be, no, can't have it, it's commercially sensitive, um, blah, 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 when it's blatantly not. People might be listening to this and think, oh, who cares if, you're, if your silly little OIA request isn't coming through about this minor sort of thing, technicality thing to do with the city council in Napier. So like, why is it, speaking to those people, why is it important that the OIA is a smooth, functional, in an important piece of legislation? Well, this is all public information, and the public has a right to know about the workings of government and the information they hold. There are valid reasons for some information not to be released, but... There are also vast amounts of information that need to be out in the public, should be out in the public, so we understand exactly what the decision-making process is. Dane Beverly Wakem described it as cavalier disregard for the law when it comes to the OIA. Why does, dating way back, way back, years and years and years, decades if you want to look for it, why does this keep happening? Mostly the Official Information Act works. Uh, why does that happen? Well, it's because agencies get flooded with, with requests. It's sometimes because agencies aren't set up well enough to do the job properly. In the case of some local authorities, which are not large, they don't have the expertise and don't have the resources, and they struggle with the technicalities of the legislation. I, I want to put it in perspective, Emil. Mm. I think for journalists, it's your requests are fair. You, you have got news which needs to be current. The old style of waiting 20 days before an agency responded and sometimes then uh, wishing to extend doesn't wash these days when uh, stories need to be turned over to maintain their relevance. I, I think agencies 
have got to be prepared to say this. Here is a request. Is there any reason why not? Let's just get on with it. Let's get it out if it can be got out this week. To say we've got 20 days, let's mark that on the calendar and do it at the last minute, doesn't wash with me. And we are increasingly vociferous when we feel that agencies are dragging the chain. You say vociferous. I mean, does the office actually have any teeth, though? So the process looks like this. Let me give you a specific example. Last year in the House, National MPs Chris Bishop and Nicola Willis wanted a letter released that the Green MP and Minister Julianne Genta had written to the Minister of Transport, Phil Twyford. The letter apparently contains opinions from the Green MP and Associate Transport Minister on a Wellington transport plan. That was debated in the House uh, and many questions asked. And the, the issue was, when a complaint... He wouldn't release it. And when the issue came to me, I had to decide whether to recommend release or not. That takes a bit of time. You have to go backwards and forwards, look at the material, read it, form a view. In the end... The recommendation I made, and it was a recommendation, was fully complied with. So I said I didn't think the whole of the letter should be disclosed, but I thought a summary to reflect the public interest in how democracy works, how parties in an MMP environment work. The public had the right to know that. So that's an example of, yes, it took some weeks to do because it, it, it had to, but in the end... The recommendation fully implemented uh, and the matter was resolved satisfactorily. So mostly, I have to say, there are wins. There are interesting examples. I was taking a read through your annual report for 2018-2019. There are quite interesting examples of the Ombudsman's Office almost being sort of weaponised by public institutions. There is an example regarding an RNZ complaint to Auckland Council in which an Auckland Council officer says... If RNZ objects to this information being released, its only recourse is to appeal to the Ombudsman, and that process will take time and may be overtaken by the planned release. Yes. It's, it's deeply ironic. Yes, and that particular example that you highlighted um, just then was completely unacceptable to me. Look, it was even worse than... than um, I know that you've just told a little of the story, mm. but when Radio New Zealand showed me the internal emails that had been released to RNZ from the Auckland City Council, there had been gaming. It was clear that uh, officers within the Auckland City Council were betting on the fact that by the time, if they delayed things enough, the story would lose its, uh, its potency. And uh, I think if they had known that those emails were ever going to end up on my desk, they would never have written them in the first place. Now, therein lies, therein lies a lesson. And the first is to do the job conscientiously and to get on and do it. Because if you don't, it will probably end up on my desk and you'll be on the front page of, of media or on Radio New Zealand. I'm not afraid to speak out where agencies have conducted themselves in a way which does not go fully in the spirit of the Act. I guess the thing about this, though, right, is that... This has been going on for a long time, and in the absence of any... Do you know where I'm going with this? Yes, yes, I do. You know, it's, you're just going to be putting out fires everywhere, aren't you? This is going to keep coming up every X period of time until until Coronation Street runs out, you know? <laughs> that will never happen. <laughs> I, I think... Um, I, I, 
The Minister of Justice, uh, Andrew Little, when he was the Minister of Justice, indicated he wished to have a review of the Official Information Act. There are a number of issues that people want looked at. I would accept, Emil, that unless agencies are more conscientious and apply the spirit of the Act down to the letter, there will continue to be calls by people such as you, journalists in particular, but also opposition members of Parliament, uh, for this act to be beefed up. The risk agencies run is that if they don't do this work properly, and I'm not threatening you, I'm just saying it's, it's a fact, that, that the very sort of concerns that you've got have either got to be allayed or they will not go away and grow and there will be reform and there will be more coercive machinery. Do you need more resourcing in the Ombudsman's office? Is it functioning, do you think? Yes, uh, I, I do not have any criticism of our funding. We have grown enormously. When I came at the end of uh, 2015, we had a staff of 70. We've now got a staff of 150. Mm -hmm. Why do we need this amount of money now? Because it's right and proper that we look at places of detention. It's right and proper that we're looking at rest homes, particularly in COVID times, to see that they're being treated fairly. Quarantine facilities is a growth area. I think that uh, as long as we are doing our job effectively and efficiently, and we're doing that better now than ever before, um, then I'm content that we make our resourcing work. I know that you've got to conclude shortly. I want to get to the stage where no one feels that coming to the Ombudsman will just shut something up for a period of time so it's convenient. The reverse... I want there to be a feeling that if there's a complaint to the Ombudsman, people think, oh no, I'll fix it before it gets there. That's what the position I'd like to be in. Mm. Yeah, I guess the best society is the one where no one actually needs the Ombudsman and you can just smoke cigars and drink scotch all day, right? I don't think that's likely, but (laughs) certainly water and eating apples would be the way to go. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Mark Jennings. And thanks to Judge Peter Bosher. Matewa. Matewa.